Now, this isn't a, a party political broadcast, but I do think the uh, Tories came out with a, a great policy this week that everyone will be keen on. It, it was this one. I don't know if you saw it. They're going to legislate to make social media companies, this is the policy, eradicate from the web those things that you put up when you were a child or a young person that you're embarrassed about. But those stupid things that you, you stuck up there on the internet that are now recorded for all eternity in cyberspace, that people can look up about you, the, the event, the photograph. Surely we, we like that idea, don't we? Losing our past, taking our regrets away, not, not having anything that anyone can see that we are ashamed of. So let me ask you this morning, have, have you come here this morning knowing there are things in your life that you are ashamed of. There are things that make you maybe feel dirty. Things that you're very glad that, well, you hope that you're the only person in this room who knows. Or have you come there this morning feeling guilty? Perhaps you know, you just, you just don't live up to your own standards. Oh, you're not going to admit that to those closest to you, but you just don't live up to your own standards, let alone the standards of a perfect God. You aren't the parent you want to be. You're not the partner you want to be. You're not the friend you want to be. You're not the colleague you want to be. Or perhaps you've come here this morning and you know you need help in life. <laughs> you know you need more than help. You've been trying to help yourself for years and it's just not working. You need rescue. You need someone who's going to come into your life and in some way turn it round. Well, then God says, Mark's gospel is great news for you. What we're going to look at this morning, it's wonderful news for you. But can I, can I warn you if, you, if you come here this morning and you think, well, you're okay, that you're a pretty good person. I mean, sure, you're not perfect. You'll admit you're not perfect, but you're a pretty good person. You're certainly better than the bad people you, you see on the news. You're absolutely better than that, that group of young lads you saw in the hoodies smoking the wacky-backy on the corner last night as you walked home. You're better than them. If you're an okay sort of person, well, then there's a danger you're going to miss a beauty of what Jesus says. Because Jesus didn't come to bring about a new religion, a new theological perspective. He didn't even come to bring about a new ethical teaching. He came to call people who follow him. And people who follow him are people who understand the beauty of what he says this morning. He says, three of the most beautiful things I think that have ever been said in the world. He says, I am willing. Son, your sins are forgiven. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm willing. Son, your sins are forgiven. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let, let's see why those are beautiful things. Here's, here's the first thing. The Lord Jesus, he reaches out and he says, I am willing. Look down in the Bible with me at Mark 1, 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, you've got to understand that in the first half of the Bible, in the Old Testament, God's law said leprosy, it wasn't just an unpleasant skin disease, it was a sign of all that was wrong with the world, of humanity's rebellion against God. So, if you were a leper, you were excluded from the temple, the place where people went to worship God. You couldn't live in your town, you had to live outside it. 
This man has actually not been able to see his family for years. He's lost his job, his home, his friends, his relationship with God. He has been totally shut outside his people. He's an outcast. He's unclean. He would have been ashamed of himself. And he kneels down and begs that the one person he thinks can help him in absolute humility. And Jesus' response is extraordinary. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Indignant because as Jesus looks upon all the pain and the suffering, all the brokenness that, that is caused by our rejection of the God who made us and love us, loved us, he, he is indignant, he's angered by that, that this is what his world has come to. But that's why in some translations it says Jesus had compassion upon him. He feels this man's pain and this man's brokenness and lostness from God. See, this man wouldn't have been touched for years. No one has touched him for years. But because if you touched an unclean person, a leper, well then God's word taught you that you became unclean yourself. You would have to be excluded from God's presence and from God's people. So no one touched a leper. And Jesus reaches out, and he touches him. And when Jesus touches him, well, something extraordinary happens. Verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. See, we haven't got a God who, who sits somewhere outside of our existence and shouts down, Try harder! We've got a God who comes to earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and is willing to, to reach out and touch those who, who no one else would ever want to, dare to, be bold enough to, love enough to touch. A God who's, who's willing to get his hands dirty with our mess. In fact, a God who's willing to get his hands bloody with our mess. And we've got no right to expect Lord Jesus, to look upon, upon the, the wreck of our lives and to be indignant, to look upon the, the mess we've made of ourselves and to, to care with compassion, because we're part of a, a world that's wholeheartedly rejected, who wholeheartedly insulted this God who, who's made us and given us all we have. We don't deserve him to draw close. We deserve to be shut out of his presence forever. That's the way we've treated him. We've turned our back on him. We've ignored him. We've said effectively, get lost, God. And yet he comes down. How could a perfectly good God allow people whose lives are so full of shame to live with him? Well, he comes down and he reaches out and he touches and he says, I am willing. Don't you need a God like that? We had uh, Dick Lucas preach last week, and Dick Lucas has this great line that he says sometimes uh, about himself, and I'd say it about myself. He, said, he says this, if you knew what I was truly like, you wouldn't listen to a word that I say in the name of God. And then he goes on to say, if I knew what you were truly like, I wouldn't bother telling you. <laughs> but, but that's what we're like, isn't it? And that God has compassion on us. He wants us to be restored to relationship with him. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. 
Jesus says, I am willing to take upon myself your uncleanness. I will take your filth for you. Not not because of anything this man's done. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of who this man is. Not because of who we are. Simply because he is the God who is willing. That's who he is. Now, some of us are old enough to remember the HIV crisis, AIDS, breaking our news And when AIDS first came into recognition in the world, there was so much fear about it. You know, you can remember the stories. Do you get AIDS by sitting on a loose seat that someone with HIV sat on? You remember that? Can you touch them? They were ostracized. And an extraordinary thing happened in February 1989. Diana, Princess of Wales, went to a hospice, Middle May Mission AIDS Hospice in Bethnal Green, London. And she did this. You can see it behind me. She reached out, and Simon, who had HIV, who was going to die of AIDS, gave her some flowers, and she touched him. And she went round, and she sat with patients, and she embraced them. And that totally changed the country's attitude to this illness and disease. Suddenly, people were willing to reach out to those who otherwise were being ostracized and declared unclean. But Diana, Princess of Wales, could do that because she knew it didn't actually affect her at all. And and as she reached out and and touched Simon, the one thing that wasn't going to happen is he wasn't going to get any better. It wasn't going to change the fact that he was going to die from the disease he had. But the Bible tells us that, that the God who comes down to us, who reaches out and touches us, well, Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our infirmities, our suffering, our illnesses. The Lord Jesus, the the Son of God, the ruler of all that there is and all that he has made, the, the one we deserve to be excluded from forever, has such compassion on us. He will take our uncleanness on himself. And that's the focus of what Jesus is about, restoring us to relationship with God. That's why we have verses 43 and 44 there, where he he sends this man off to the priest. See, Jesus doesn't come just to be healing medical illnesses. He doesn't want to be swamped with medical problems. He wants people to enjoy that relationship with God. And this man, now he's clean, he needs to go to the priest so that he can be welcomed back into God's presence and welcomed back amongst God's people. That's Jesus' priority for this man. It's not really what interests the leper himself, do you see? Or perhaps I should call him the man who used to be a leper. Verse 45, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet people still came to him from everywhere. I just think it goes to show the Lord Jesus' compassion even more that knowing, presumably, the first thing that this man was going to do once he was clean was disobey him, he still reaches out and cleanses him. So let me ask you again, have you come ashamed this morning? As you look around the building, you're just very glad that people can't see behind that Christian facade they, they don't have access to what you've downloaded this week. They, they don't know quite how dirty you're feeling or how unkind you've been to people, what's happening in your life. Would you, do you know you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you can say to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
And if, if you come to him, there's only ever one reply. You'll get only ever one reply. I am willing. Be clean. Now, Jesus might be able to restore. He might be willing to restore our relationship with God. But the question is, is he able? Can he do it? And here's the second thing we see. Jesus says to you, I am able. I am able. I mean, David's already taken us through this, this second account, hasn't he, of, of the, the man who was paralyzed. It must have been a terrible shock for those four men. They, they've, they've labored to get this bloke to the house, and then they can't get in. And so they go around the side and up onto the roof, and they, they've risked not just sort of bodily injury, but presumably a very irritated homeowner as bits of his ceiling fall in on him as they rip open the hole. They've lowered the bloke down in front of Jesus, and then Jesus says, verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. And you can imagine them up in the roof going down, No, it's his legs. It's legs. Not religion, legs, look, on mat, can't walk. But that's not what God sees when he looks at us. He, 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 when the, the Lord performs his heavenly triage, you know triage? That's why you always want to go to hospital with a child bleeding profusely from the head, straight to the front of the queue. Okay, never go as I did with a sore ankle, four hours later still sitting there, everyone else, I was welcoming them myself. No, come in really, come past me, all of you. It was cold. You've got a cold man flu. Please come in. You're very important. And God, in, in triage, he, he looks down upon us, and he sees the primary issue is not anything wrong with us physically. It, it's the fact that our hearts are those that have rejected and rebelled against him. Our, our biggest problem is our broken relationship with God, not our broken legs. This man needs forgiving above all else. Do you know that? Your biggest need is forgiveness of sin. Sin's, sin's one of those words, isn't it? It's just so common in Christian parlance. We just sort of, you know, it becomes, it's such a short word. It becomes such a, a small thing in our lives. It, it trips off our tongue. Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, no, really. We, we, lose, we lose the enormity of the offense of sin. That heart that rejects our, our loving Father who has given us everything we have. He's made us. He's brought us into being by his will. That heart that then takes all his goodness and love and says, stuff it. That was the sanctified version of what went through my head. Get lost. Really, it's my world. I want to do what I want. I'm taking everything you've given me, and I'm just going to use it for me. And by the way, you don't love me, really. All you've ever said, it's a load of rubbish. Get lost. That's what sin is. And the issue is this. You know, this guy's legs, they're, they're just going to leave him in a desperate state for life. But his sin is going to leave him in a desperate state for eternity. Because the God of all love loves his world too much not to leave sin unpunished. He, he cares about his justice for his creation too much to ignore the way we've treated him. And the Bible says if we don't have our sins forgiven by God, then we will spend eternity suffering his just punishment for that. And that's far worse than any paralysis. But by the way, is that how you see people? Or what, what, what do you pray? What do you pray for your friends, maybe, who, who don't know the Lord Jesus when they're seriously ill? What's your priority in praying for them? Sometimes our, our prayers can reveal, reveal the priorities of our hearts, can't they? Because God's priority for them, first and foremost, whatever their suffering is, forgiveness of sins. 
once you see that about someone, you don't put your children's exams over them hearing about Jesus. You don't put your, your children's sports events over them hearing about Jesus because you look upon, upon anyone, your children, your friends, your family, and you think, these guys are spiritually bleeding out. They're going to die without forgiveness of sins. I need to get them to Jesus. Not, not that the religious leaders agree with Jesus about his ability to forgive. Did you see that in verse 7? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Oh, they're absolutely right. Sin is a God, it's against God, therefore only God can forgive it. I mean, if, if I say, you know, think, well, David, mate, you know, first half of the service is a bit ropey, and I go down and I kick David in the shins, just make sure that never happens again, and uh, f- from the back, yeah, AK calls out, Daph, I forgive you. You can imagine David saying, well, that's all very good and proper for you, mate, but it's my bruised shins, I'm the only person who's got the right to forgive him. That's true of sin. It's against God. Only God can forgive sin. It's an offense against him. And in saying to this man's son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is saying, look, I'm the one you've sinned against. I'm the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. I'm the Lord on earth himself. And I love the way that in the very next verse, Mark records Jesus doing something that only God could do. Did did you see that in verse 8? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? And then he asked them a question. I wonder what you think the answer to this question is. What's your answer to this question? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Give it a a thought for a second. What, What do you think is easier? Your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your mat, and walk. I suspect it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, I can go around this morning, oh, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. No tangible difference. But if we, if we brought someone in, you know, one of the people here maybe who's disabled, brought them to the front, and I said, get up and walk, you'd very quickly see whether I was serious or not and whether I was able to do it. And so what Jesus does is he does the outward miracle to prove that he can and has the authority to do the more important inner healing. Do you see that in verse 10? He says, but I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. You bet they hadn't. Now Jesus isn't just willing to restore your relationship with God, to embrace the filth of your life so you can be forgiven. He's able to do that. He is the Son of Man, who in the Old Testament is the one with all authority over all creation. He has the right to forgive sins because sin is an offense against him. But but do you know what? As as we continue to walk through Mark's gospel over the coming months, we're going to see that though it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, it's a much harder thing for Jesus to do. Because for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven... Well, well, forgiveness of sins, it's, it's free to us, but it's very costly to Jesus. You see, that's going to take Jesus to one place, to the cross. 
It's going to take him to a place where all of our sins are poured onto him and he bears the righteous anger and he bears the punishment in our place as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It might be easy to say your sins are forgiven. It's a very, very hard thing to do to forgive sins, even for God himself. There's no one else who can forgive your sins today. No one else who can bring you back to relationship with God because no one else has died in your place as the one and only Son of Man. We have to come to Jesus. He's totally unique. We mustn't be ashamed of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ compared to the other religions of the world. He is so unique and so precious. Every other religion in the world, if you take them, your wrongdoing or your failure before God will say, come on, try a bit harder. Look, I've got some ceremony you can do and I've got a a book of rules for you to keep. And if you pull them off, maybe, maybe, just maybe, God will look favorably upon you in the end. Only, only the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Did you meet the God who comes to earth to bear your sins so that you can be forgiven? I am willing. I am able, says Jesus. And lastly, he says, look, that's why I've come. I've come. Do you see the bad company Jesus keeps? Have a look down at Mark 2, verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Jesus seeks out wrong'uns. It's not just that he says, oh, I'll I'll take anyone who comes to me. He goes and finds them. I mean, Levi, we we probably, I hope you have a good relationship with the inland revenue. Okay, that's a good thing. But but in Jesus' day, tax collectors, the way they made their money was that they collected a little bit too much on the side. So they'd collect the money for the Romans and some money for Levi. It didn't make you very popular with the local population. Not just because you'd sold out to the oppressive superpower, but because you were raking it in for yourself. People hated tax collectors. And Jesus, he's not just saying, look, if any tax collector chooses to, you know, see that I'm the Son of God and comes to me, well, then I'll take him in. He goes and finds him. He goes to where he's ripping people off, tax collector's booth, and goes, Levi, follow me. And Levi follows him. He doesn't just welcome badons. Jesus looks out for badons. And then he eats with them. And in the culture of the day, I guess it's the same today. If you eat with someone, that's the ultimate sign of acceptance. Do you know that the gods come to have an intimate relationship with the dregs of society? You can see why the, the local clergy, they're, they're a bit mystified by this. You know, they're all upstanding. In verse 16, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? If you saw me sitting down in the uh, cafe at Hook Library, yeah, with a prostitute and a drug dealer, you might ask yourself, what on earth is the pastor doing? That's what what they're saying. It's perfectly reasonable. But but that question is the heart of the passage. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And and Jesus says, he tells them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. 
Now, he's not saying, Jesus, to these religious leaders, it's okay, guys, your life is so good, you do not need me, you're okay, but these, these, this, this lot, they're a bit rough, and I've come to sort them out. That goes against everything else you'll find about the religious leaders in Mark's gospel. In fact, the Pharisees are those who are so hard of heart that in the end they, they club together with the local king, Herod's guys, in chapter 3, verse 6, and decide to bump Jesus off. No, it's not that they are good people. No, it's in their self-righteous religion. They're blind to their need of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I've come to call people who recognize they are sinners. People like Matthew the tax collector. People who get up out of the mess of their lives and follow me. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how far they've fallen. It doesn't matter how bad people think their sin is. What matters is that they see that they're sick and that they need a doctor. And so many people think that Christianity is about making yourself well so God accepts you. But, but Jesus is totally, totally against that. He says the first thing you need to see to be one of his followers is that you are so sick you can't help yourself. Jesus came to make you clean. He came to forgive your sins. He came to bring you back to relationship with God because you are sick and you need a spiritual doctor. And it's not just a relationship where God keeps you at arm's length. It's a relationship where he he welcomes you into a feast. In fact, one of the pictures the Bible has of heaven in the end is us sitting down at a feast, a place of intimate table fellowship with the King of Kings, Jesus himself. In fact, one passage in the Bible talks about Jesus serving us at this feast. That's the sort of God he is. Now, for us here as a church who know the Lord Jesus, we've got to be sure that's the message that people hear. The impression that we give to the outside world is that we're a collection of sinners who desperately need Jesus, that we welcome sinners with open arms, even that we will be people who go and find sinners where they are at. We will go to those who other people in society will not go to and share Jesus Christ with them, the outcasts. What will be seen sitting at Hook Cafe with the local drug dealer and the prostitute? There is such a danger, you know, we become self-righteous like these Pharisees. I think, I think this is one of the biggest dangers for someone like me in Christian ministry. I have to keep remembering I only come to church because you pay me. It's easy to look down on others so quickly. You know, you know when you're looking down on, on other people because you, you're just, in your mind maybe, you pass comment on what they're doing. That's what the Pharisees did. You maybe just give a, a quiet nod to someone else. Perhaps you just tell someone else about, do, do you know what they're up to? It's not good, is it? Oh, these Pharisees, they haven't got the guts to go up and talk to Jesus himself. Now they sneak around the fringes just muttering about other people. That, that's what self-righteous people do. And do you know that, that self-righteousness, it'll rob you of your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ quicker than anything else. That's my experience. Well, when you cling to, to, to the fact that you are good and not like others, actually it makes you miserable because you're not. But, but when you see that you're unclean and you're a sinner and that you're sick and then you near know you, you need Jesus and you crave him, that brings you joy. 
I can tell you now that the people who will get the best time out of coming to, say, church and, and listening to God's Word, who, who will rejoice in that the most, are the people who feel most broken and most in need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people for whom church becomes an optional extra, depending on the weather, are the people who don't feel that they need Jesus quite as deeply. Because you won't feel that extraordinary love of God unless you see how extraordinary it is that He loves you. See, God says to us in His Son, Jesus, I'm wanting to reach down and embrace your filth, to take your shame so you can be clean. I'm able to take the punishment for all your sin. I did it at the cross so you can be forgiven. I've come to welcome sick people like you into my family so you can enjoy intimate relationship with me. And this table, this table we're about to gather around, the table where we eat bread and we, we drink wine, this is a feast for sinners. It's a place where the outcast and the unwanted can come. It's a place where we're reminded that all we have to share with the Lord Jesus Christ is our uncleanness, our sin, our failure, and our shame. That is all you bring to the Lord Jesus. And he's reached down to us. And he's taken it all upon himself. And he's borne it at the cross. So that we, as we eat the bread, we remember that, that in his body he took all of that about me. And as we drink the cup, we remember that he's promised now, because he's died in our place, to pour his spirit into our hearts to cleanse us from the inside out. So we might be clean, forgiven, healed, welcomed to a wonderful feast with him forever. However we feel about ourselves. Whatever we have done, whatever we are doing, and whatever we will do. So just to me, and with a simple thing. If you don't know this Lord Jesus, the true Lord Jesus, will you come to him? In a little while, we're just going to read through a psalm in the Bible. It's admitting to God you're a sinner. You could come to him now as we read that psalm by making it your own in your heart. As we come to the table by saying, yes, Lord Jesus, I know you died for me. I want to follow you. It's as simple as that. If you're not ready to do that yet, will you go to Life Explored this week and find out more about this Lord Jesus on Thursday night? Because he says, I'm willing, I am able, I have come that you might know God. And for those of us who do know him, Oh, don't forget how much you need him. If you do, you'll lose sight of how loved you are. But if you can say today, I'm unclean, and I'm a sinner, and I'm sick, but in Christ, I'm clean, and I'm forgiven, and I'm healthy, then you'll know how loved you are. Let's pray together.